Hello and welcome to the Last Alliance University of Alberta Tolkien Society podcast. Join us this year as we follow the adventures of two small and very important ring bearers in The Hobbit and the Fellowship of the Ring. So Pippin and Mary's farewell song um, is in the same metrical um, style as yeah. it, as um, as yeah. uh, so it's four yeah. lines of iambic tetrameter um, or also known as long meter and like there's dozens and dozens and dozens if not hundreds of hymn melodies set to that exact same style. Okay. So I could. Well, it, it says that they did that on purpose. It's a bath, yeah. 
my experience is entirely different. Yeah. Like, that's, um, I usually travel in the morning if things wake me up, but like that in the night, it's crazy. <laughs> but this isn't like the sitting bath, they're pouring water on themselves. Yeah. Right? So. Well, like, you would be in a sitting bath. Yeah. And but you would yeah. like. Yeah. Go to Japan. You would be the happiest. <laughs> it is so great. I don't think Joseph would fit into a bathtub in Japan. I probably wouldn't. I don't fit into bathtubs in Europe. Like it depends. <laughs> like some I, bathtubs are like pretty wide in the back. That's fair. Yeah. Well, I've been to Spain and Poland, and no, there's not a single bathroom in either of those countries that I've been to that's just like I can comfortably fit in this bathtub. It's like like, like hunched together. <laughs> I had everything. I would like the bath song, except the meter makes no sense. That's the point, though. You're singing it while you're bathing, like. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody writes nine nine eight nine. It doesn't even make sense. They're not writing it. They're just like talking it. It's a folk song. It's like weird meter. This is before standardization. Oh, the other thing I like is just the sense of the perilous drama as they're going into the old woods, like that very, very almost like Celtic day. So great. Yeah, one thousand percent. Because I was gonna have like eight notes on that. Mm-hmm. I've got so many notes on my chapters. Hey Tristan, skip your class. Stay here. Uh no, it's not that far. Chapter notes. Um. Got something to say? I enjoyed how much Murray talks in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his sort of reaction to Frodo's difficulty when explaining, "Hey guys." Thanks for all this work, bye. Yeah. Um, and the conspiracy in general is quite excellent. <laughs> how well they keep secrets and yet how poorly. Uh, so as usual, I mean, also say things about meter. Um, all the Tom Bombadil songs, you can sing to the tune of Goodyear Necklaces. No, right. No, I'm so glad I'm missing this bit because I'm not going to do it in any other. Okay, but you can, and I literally noticed it like two years ago, and I haven't been able to get rid of it since. Um, and it the way that he sings infects the way that he talks. There are lines in his prose that you can also sing, and it's so annoying. Wow, <laughs> like. <laughs> When I was reading, like I was singing the song, and then I was reading what he said, but I was sing-songing in my head. <laughs> like I was not reading it like normal thing. I was like, oh my god, stop! He's talking. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that's deliberate. Like his talking is supposed to sound Like, uh, yeah, Frodo, we have 
some hobbit holes are built into a hill with a spring in it such that the water source is inside the house. <laughs> that would be incredible. I, I think that's feasible. Like you have a well inside the house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's really, really cool and that's probably the case. Maybe some of the richer hobbits like... I can see that being the case in um, Brandy Hall. Yeah. They go pretty deep and the creek isn't too far away. about Maria Pippin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, yeah, so like 
young, driven into child by hobbit standards, but they live in a place where, like, people who suffer though are dying. The whole, the whole forest is nearby, and they've been adventuring there. They do stuff that frightens normal hobbits, like. Sure, they don't go in the big outside world, but like they they have different reaction to add and to danger than others other hobbits would. Yeah. They have to actively maintain a border mm -hmm. that has unfriendlies for insects that live inside of the nature reserve and most of that. Reciprocity between forests is a big part of what makes the rainforest so awesome. Yeah. Like yeah, sure they cross the river. But what set them apart culturally and distinctly is their reciprocity between forests. Both in that they actually have to do something about it, but also in that the Crossing Beagle forest itself is strange and it kind of aches the forest and it feels a bit like they're estranged from it. Yeah. Have they ever heard of Trick or Crossbow? I mean, probably not because we've only met, we've only talked about it once, but the armor maglet knows how long the veil is supposed to be. We mentioned that last week. Yeah, we talked about the armor bag. But then this chapter really just brings it full circle. Another thing that I thought was really interesting, but I kind of forget, is how Mary is like the leader of the group in a very clear sense. Like, I mean, Mary is super competent for a hobbit. <laughs> Pippin would be like that if he was a little bit older. You can kind of see him stepping into that mm -hmm. when Mary's not around. But Mary is like an actual adult. And it's just like, no, like I go into the old forest sometimes. Like, yeah, there's definitely something wrong with it. But like, don't believe all the stories crappy fools are telling. I get the sense that, that Mary's going into the old forest was definitely reacting with his like, younger days though. It's not something that he does that is a quality of Mary as a grown up. It's something that Mary did as a super irresponsible teenager. Yeah. Also, I feel, I, I honestly got more of the impression that he would have been led there by older members of his family because he would have needed to have some familiarity with the other side mm -hmm. because that, this is the border that they guard and he's going to be I just took it up as like part of the adventurousness of the Brandy Bucks. Um, and like I think the fact that they are a bit more adventurous definitely has to, is part of their queerness, is part of the fact that they live so close to the old forest because the presence of danger just makes for a more vigilant people um, as such. Um, so I, like I, I could see him doing it in his adult days and just, you know, that adventurous side and the wanting to protect his homeland. And, yeah, like the way he talked about, oh, I know that there's a path and then that, like, um, I forgot the name of it, but like, like the place they don't want to go to in the, when he said like, we don't want to go there. Yeah. Uh, it seems to me that that he went as a child, he got kind of mad, he got super scared, yeah. <laughs> and he ran away, he never went there. He just knows you don't go there. But the other parts were more secure, as secure as he can be in his own forest. He has past 
like yeah, he went there as an adult and be like, okay, so that's what I we we can be quite confident to go and like where the place where you can go home afterwards and further problem solve. Like brandy bucks, like relation to like the hedge and the old forest on the other side, just like reminded me of the wall, like in Game of Thrones. Just the way they interact with it. Yeah, and it's also like a natural wall because it's meant to just say hey, so like that's a make grow more and more and more against magic, yeah, weird stuff, danger, invaders, like <laughs> even the trees try to try to destroy that wall. Like they literally try to went up with the wall and like they had to burn them down. So I understand why you Skipping ahead a little bit, I don't, I don't feel like, do we need to analyze the Vax on? Does anyone want to vote for that as we move forward? Um, not the Vax on in particular. Okay. But I think it's worth mentioning that there are three fully grown men who are just happy and comfortable bathing together. Yeah. And that's just totally chill and never mentioned again. Mm. Yeah. It's actually fairly common in, like, non-North American countries. Yeah. Song, I had the Green Dragon song from when we sing at the Royal Hunters. It mm -hmm. won't. Mm -hmm. I think, maybe. I'm not really good at music, but maybe we can try. It's almost like saccharine, how nice and like loving all these people are to each other, right? It didn't come across as saccharine at all to me, like, though I can see why people would think it would be, I guess. Like, I can see why people, like, critics would read this chapter and be like, ugh. But also, like, it's, it's just so real mm -hmm. when you're reading it. I think it's what exactly like brings me to saccharine, right? Like, there's that element of, like, these are just such close friends and all, like, loving and all that. I've never crossed over to that point of like, I now need to go start taking insulin because this gave me like an autoimmune disorder. Um, what is that term? Saccharin? Saccharin. Saccharin. Like oh, sweet. sweet. Excessively sweet. Okay. To the point of being untasteful because it's too yeah. sugary. The other thing is like, there is the looming shadow, mm -hmm. right? Like that's also a softer thing. Yeah, like Frodo's feelings are very understandable. Like his feelings of isolation because he can't really tell anyone what he's doing and he doesn't want to take anyone with him. Um, yeah, I don't know. There were some really good lines here. Like, uh, Sam is an excellent fellow and would jump down a dragon's throat 
finding the gangless adventure. Um, and this, yeah, the line that you brought up too, Italy, in your response to that. Um, you speak of danger, but you do not understand. This is no treasure hunt, no there and back journey. I am flying from deadly peril into deadly peril. Back to talking about my gut a little bit. Yeah. I found interesting that, um, where is it? Yeah, Mary is like, when, when he surprised them, he's remembering like, when he surprised them and the boat was like right there. It's like, he sounded almost as he was scared, if that is possible. So I don't know what image he has. It's like, he's an old farmer, but he's not scared of anything. Mm. Which is like, interesting to me. It's like, he's a hobbit, he should be afraid of everything. <laughs> but yeah, he has like, anyway, this big, like, like the, the way Mary says this is almost like, as a child being like, dad was scared, like, He's not a superhero. <laughs> He's afraid sometimes. <laughs> it's it's funny. Yeah, it's like a thing. He's a very larger than life figure for the Hobbit. Which is really interesting. Um, okay, one thing I thought was really interesting was that Mary knows all about the ring and Frodo's focused on that. But there's like a logical explanation for it. He snooped on Bilbo. Also <laughs> confirmation that Bilbo did just use the ring to avoid his annoying relatives, which solid. Um, but Mary says, so Mary says, we know the ring is no laughing matter, but we are going to do our best to help you against the enemy. And Frodo was like, the ring? And I'm like, the enemy? <laughs> Where'd Mary get that? Yeah. Like, Where I totally don't, don't know. And I think the answer has to yeah. 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 The answer has to be because that's where Sam got caught, right? Mm -hmm. That would be the last kind of information that they could really get out of Sam before Sam was like scared off all of his snooping, right? So like they meet, like solidly they meet, like two days later in the Green Dragon, and Sam's like going out, Mr. Frodo. <laughs> gotta gotta go somewhere, do a thing. Frodo's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, sure. And Frodo's like completely lost in the fact that he has to leave the Shire. <laughs> and Sam's just like, okay guys, guys, everything's changed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so given that they were expecting Frodo to leave at some point in what Bilbo's footsteps, do you think Sam like purposely eavesdropped? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah they, they, oh yeah, well, because Mary and Pippin told him to. <sighs> Mary and Pippin were like, hey, yeah, uh, so Gandalf's here? And is that just like, like I can, I can see Gandalf, Gandalf's been coming like twenty times okay. last month, and Frodo is just staring wistfully off in the distance and sighing dramatically. Yeah. Like you. No, but even before like, that, like, like they know about the ring, and I, I feel like Mary says that he's been expecting Frodo to go since Bilbo. Left. Since Bilbo left. Yeah. Um. But I think, and so I think that like, due to like that and their natural curiosity, like they're more on the board. <laughs> they know before Gandalf gets all the way to Bag End that Gandalf is in the Shire. And I can see Mary just like sending out his fastest like runner. Like, tell Sam, go, run. Gandalf is coming. Tell him we need to know everything. <laughs> so also, basically what we find out here is that the point when Sam dried up as an information source 
when Gandalf like hauled him over the window and was like Samwise Gamgee. And then Mary and Pippin were like, yeah, we could hardly get anything out of him after that. So leading up to that point, they had actively enlisted Sam to spy on Frodo, thus explaining why he was clipping the head right under the window. I just have the image of Sam like cutting the grass and clipping the hedge, even though the hedge has been cut like, <laughs> all the way down to the lowest it can go. Yeah. And he's just like clipping it, not even like clipping the hedge, he's just like making it and trying to look into the window. Um, Gandalf shows up and Sam looks at the hedge, looks at his clippers and is like, like, usually I wait, but I just left it too long. It needed to be clipped, and now look at this. <laughs> He's just doing the exact same things he did yesterday. Frodo is, of course, oblivious. Paying <laughs> attention to his garbage. But Gandalf notices. I feel like Gandalf the whole time kind of has this sense that Sam's under there because he saw the hedges were already perfectly clipped when he came in. And yet. <laughs> Suspicious. That would be really funny. <laughs> But he's totally okay with it because he knows Frodo needs a quarrel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also like 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 to imagine like how Mary and Pippin have to spend like because sure like they both sort of friends with uh, Frodo but like Sam works for Frodo which is not the same and I just imagine Mary and Pippin like so Sam and Sam yeah. like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> like full on like he was walking home one day and Mary and Pippin just jump out from behind the hedges and like grab one of his arms, and they're like, Sam Gamgee. And they're like, oh gosh. Yeah. This almost rings of, like, organized crime. Right. That's what it sounds like. The Brandy Book family just has, like, a finger in every pie. How much do you think Gandalf was expecting um, Merry and Pippin to accompany Frodo? I'd say like it's it's pretty likely. I'd say like reasonably. Like I feel like Gandalf was pretty solidly expecting Frodo to have company to Rivendell. Beyond that, was like, oh okay. Yeah, I feel like the I shots for Gandalf that. start when Frodo's like, I'll take the ring to Mordor, and then they don't stop from that point forward. <laughs> Gandalf's just like on the verge of a heart attack the entire time. <laughs> I think you have a lot less faith in Gandalf than anybody else. I don't think he knew anything. He's all wrapped up in his ring research and all the bad things that are happening. And Gandalf's pretty unwise to the world sometimes in the books as compared to the movies. Like, he doesn't even know that Sauron is turning evil. Yeah. How is he really going to have insight into the minds of hobbits he hasn't really chatted with? That's true. Like, he knows Frodo and Bilbo very well. Like, he doesn't know Merry or Pippin. And also, like, as he said, he can know everything about Hobbit, like know about everything about Hobbit, but this still can surprise you. And like, yeah, like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm pretty sure that when the four of them arrived to Driven, they were like, there's two more. What, what, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> they multiplied. I just, just like the image though, because in order to navigate around. 
And I just like the image of them trying to get in touch and always like not let Frodo, not let Gandalf find out that they're like talking about him behind his back. <laughs> and he like knows. He like sees them in the Green Dragon. He's like sitting in the corner watching <laughs> them talk about him. But like everybody talks about Gandalf. Yeah. Oh man, that makes like, something makes so much more sense because there's that night that Sam is headed back to the Green Dragon and he's tipsy and the sun's going down. And all of a sudden he starts mowing grass. This is why he starts mowing grass, because he has to eavesdrop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I get it now. Yeah. Took me a while. <laughs> what a friend, eh? <laughs> I also love how Sam, like, he's so embarrassed, but at also, like, the, the little bits of, like, Sam's kind of guts coming out, like, when he's like, I'm begging your pardon, sir, but I meant no wrong to you, Mr. Frodo, nor to Mr. Gandalf, for that matter. He has some sense, mind you. And when you said go alone, he said no. Take someone as you can trust. Like I love the little implication that Sam is like, yeah, Frodo, you need some common sense. <laughs> but at the same time, directly after that comes the most cutting comment Frodo has ever made to Sam in his life, which is it doesn't seem I can trust anyone. And Frodo and Sam just like. <laughs> <laughs>
Because like this scene when like Pippin is tortured by the Valentyr and he doesn't say a word about the ring and Frodo, <laughs> even though he's like so young and so small and <laughs> this like fucking star in front, he just doesn't say a word. So I don't remember how it goes in the in the book, but like in the movies, I totally remember. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say in some ways the movies do them a bit of a disservice, right? Especially toward the beginning. They're just two bumbling idiots that happen to stumble into all this and don't know what they're getting into. But in the books, Mary especially is very well informed and knows exactly what he's getting into and is way more confident confident than Frodo is. So it's just, it's interesting that they made that decision to kind of shuffle them off to the side and make them seem like less than they are. They needed comic relief. Up to up to the Council of Rivendell and Mary could have been in there if they knew. Yeah. yeah. I, I was actually thinking about that too though. The fact that in the movies there's actually no discussion yeah. at any point of what Mary and Pippin are doing. They literally run into them on a completely unrelated situation and then end up going on this entire adventure with Frodo with no no actual prior discussion of it. Not even like, hey, you ran into us. I'm actually leaving the Shire possibly forever, possibly to die. Do you want to come? No. They just go along with it <laughs> the whole time. I mean, they catch up like a little bit in three, and then in Rivendell, when they spy on the entire council and then, you know, know what they're getting into and are like, we're coming! Yeah, okay, but consider, at least hypothetically in this situation, Mary and Pippin have had some time themselves to say goodbye to their families, yeah. Yeah. or at least tell them they're not going to be home for a while. In this situation, they went out for the day and never came back. <laughs> okay, Two you know noble sons of the Shire, well, both in line to inherit the headship okay, of Okay, but family. you know who doesn't get They to were stealing from Farmer Maggot. He yeah. may have just buried him up back. That's probably the... I was about to say, like, this might be, like, murder or, like... Freddy <laughs> was probably Maggot. a crime family, right? <laughs> like, there might be, like... Opposite crime family just looking to get rid of the brandy bug. What? <laughs> oh boy. I can't imagine the brandy bug. The, the movies are just wild like that. You, you might as well call the head of the brandy bug family or the godfather. Like, the, the, don, the don of the brandy bug family? Oh, okay. The they drown people in the river. That's why they live so close to the river. That's, uh, that's how Drogo and Primula die. Plot yeah. twist. What did they do? <laughs> you heard it here first. What did they do? You'll have to figure that out for next year's murder mystery. Or will Oh my gosh! That would be the best family Brandy Book murder mystery. My gosh. Um, this is happening. We have to do it before the Netflix series comes out and confirms all of this. It's just going to be like The Sopranos. I, either you guys will write that or Sarah and I will offer to write it for you because we won't be in university and we'll therefore have time. <laughs> yeah, I might, we might get you up on that. <laughs> Donate you guys another mystery. <coughs> Another fanfic I would really appreciate would be like um, Pippin being at um, the gates of Moria at the Black Gate and just being like, how the frick did this happen? <laughs> I was just grabbing the moment for this because I was sleeping. was like, that was the moment. If I hadn't gone yeah, to the mushrooms, I hadn't gone to those mushrooms. None of this, you know. <laughs> okay. Okay, two points yeah. remaining in this chapter before y'all can just go wild about the old forest. Um, first, what I wanted to point out, like specifically about 
you know, they, they sing it. There's some really interesting stuff in here, you know. With foes ahead, behind us dread, beneath the sky shall be our bed, until at last our toil be past, our journey done, our errand sped. Um, and then Frodo says, but in that case there are a lot of things to do before bed, under a roof for tonight at any rate. And Pippin says, oh, that was poetry. Do you really mean to start before the break of day? So I wanted to highlight that sort of gap in Mary and Pippin's understanding, at least in Pippin's, of there's poetry and there's how things really are, which is you have a very reasonable walking journey. Yeah. So they're singing all this stuff about, you know, like, yeah, this is going to be with foes ahead behind us, dread. But Pippin's comment sort of immediately undercuts the sense you get of him actually understanding that, what he's singing. So, yeah. But Mary does seem to... Mary um, does seem yeah, to. Yeah, because Mary has everything prepped and is waking them up at 30. Uh, That's true. <laughs> morning. Um, I read it a bit ironically. Does that mean anything? I think the way that I read it was that Pippin was saying, hey, Frodo, um, you don't have to start that early yes. just because I sang it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because That's I think fair. that Pippin understands Frodo a little bit differently than Frodo understands Frodo. Yes. Pippin sees a bit of an academic with his head in the clouds who oh, yeah. takes poetry too seriously <laughs> and doesn't really understand how to of that is Pippin trying to not think of the Black Riders and the actual dread behind them. But I want to sleep well this night. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't want to, like, I, how much he says that to Frodo and how much he says that to himself. It's like, he kind of has this sense of, yeah, it's going to be dangerous and there's this freaking creepy Black Riders behind us. We don't know what they are, but like they... They hiss. They hiss. Like they they sniff. Yeah. And they crawl on all four. What the heck? So what are the stuff behind us? But like, it's like a little bit like grasping for the last moment of respite before actually going to like yeah. the big step of craziness. And also because Mary and Pippin both understand that they have to be sneaky and to, that Frodo wants to leave but discreetly. I, I wonder how much in advance they have talked to go through the fourth forest. Yeah. So I think Pippin is quite like aware they're gonna go in that place that most people with sanity don't go to. <laughs> and like he's still young, you know, like and quite impressed by all that. So I think he has a sense of it. But he's trying to dismiss it for the last night. Maybe he's absolutely innocent and really don't realize how much they are in trouble. I think it's cool that there's so much like space to disagree yourself like in interpretation of all the hobbits and all the like this was kind of a really hard chapter to prep for because like I said, it just kind of drew hearts all over the pages. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we can talk about
just a
it, it's it's just Tolkien saying, hey, the song is still happening. And then I, I'm curious about what the White Tower is. Is it Mithlond? Is it um, the is it Tolerasea? Is it um, Tuna? What, what what White Tower is this? Well, Tolerasea is an island. Isn't there? A, there might be like a. I'm pretty sure there's a White Tower on it. I think this is the. I think what we've seen, at least that we talked about last year, is the Tower Hills. Yeah. Okay. Like the far, there's the far downs, and then the towers. Like just geographically, when you go west from yeah. the Shire, there's the far downs, the Tower Hills, and then the sea. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's so just geographically, this would make sense because as you leave the Shire, you would get you would like you would reach the towers, and then if you climbed one, you would be able to see the sea. But it's still like really interesting imagery. Like this is almost like dense in a tarot card esque way, where you have these like very distinct images. Like you have the wind, the sea, the tower, the forest, um, like the heath, um, the thunder, the light. It's like they're very. I want to say like basic images, but I mean that in the sense that like if Young were to read this, he would go insane about like how archetypal it is. That's not how Tolkien thinks, so I don't think that is the like. I, I don't think that's a very productive way to read this. Let's go with that. <laughs> but nonetheless, they're images that are very like visceral and would have a personal meaning. Go ahead, eat your heart out. Go ahead, eat your heart out. Okay, well, Freud would think it was a phallus. Like, yeah, jokes, jokes. Freud can go suck a dick. He clearly wants to anyway. Bye, Ryan. You're not wrong. See ya. <laughs> sure that this specific tower was supposed to be where Frodo's going after he's finished his quest. Okay. And I assumed the thunder was Monway's not yet when Frodo tried to approach the tower. This dream actually makes me wonder. <coughs> this dream, and like, I, I also have this question when we arrive, like they arrive at Hamburger's house. Um, like I was questioning Tolkien's relation to wilderness and nature because like it's clear that he favors nature over uh, industrialization and stuff but at the same time like at Tumbledale in the middle of the old forest is a really clean well-cleaned house with like domesticated nature yeah. kind of thing within the old forest and here there is like a dark sea of tangled trees. So that is like this pure wilderness with creatures crawling up to nothing and trees tangled everywhere, like pure wild and and like the nature in its fullness where like civilization does not have its spot is opposed to the sea. But the sea itself is also dangerous nature thing. It's like 
it can go wild and drunk and like you can drown in it and like no matter how big your ship the sea can still put it down but it still has this positive imagery and so I'm like how does that fit with Tolkien's relation to nature because both the forest and and the sea described in the dream are like untamed, absolutely wild, but one is dark and the other is light, like this white tower, like this good thing, white tower, basically. Yeah, that's a TV. Hang on. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> so much on that. <laughs> I feel like, um, I feel like in the dream, like nature is cast with a much more metaphorical significance mm -hmm. than it is Domestic existence. 
but there needs to be that sense of like reciprocity of mm-hmm. like participate So it's really interesting, especially thinking of Rob's like not yet sort of concept, right? That says you're you're it's not time to go yet. The sea bell is more of like a fulfillment of that. It's also good for reading at the end of Return of the King, but I'll read it now. Where have you been? What have you seen rocking in rags down the street? I come from a land where foam to the strand, where no man came on a boat, empty afloat, I sat me on, sat me thereon, swift did it swim, sailless it fled, oarless it sped, through stony beaches faded dim. It bore me away, wetted with spray, wrapped in the mist to another land. Stars were glimmering, the shore was shimmering, moon on the foam, silver the sand. I gathered these stones, whiter than bones, pearls and crystals and glittering shells. I climbed into meadows, fluttered with shadows, colored their flowers and shivering bells. Garnering the leaves and grasses and cheese, I clad me in rain of jeweled wings. My body enfolded in purple and gold, stars were in my eyes, and the moon cheese. There was many a song all the night long, down in the valley, many a thing, running to and fro, hairs white as snow, gulls out of holes, moths on the wing. With lantern eyes, in quiet surprise, badgers were staring out of dark doors. There was dancing there, wings in the air, feet going quick on the green floors. There came a dark cloud, I shouted aloud. Answer was none as onward I went, and my ears dinned a hurrying wind. My hair was a-blowing, my back was bent. I walked in the wood, silent it stood. 
and no leaf or bear with the boughs. There did I sit, wandering a bit. Owls went by to their hollow house. I journeyed away for a year and a day. Shadows were on the stones beneath, under the hills, over the hills, and the wind whistling through the eaves. Birds there were flying, ceaselessly crying. Voices I heard in the great caves, down by the shore. The water was frore, mist was there lying in the long waves. There stood the boat, still did it float, in the tide spanning on the water tossing. I sat me therein, swift did it swim, the waves climbing, the seas crossing. Passing old hulls, clustered with gulls, and the great ships laden with light. Coming to havens, dark as a raven, silent as owls, deep in the night. Houses were shuttered, wind drowned and muttered. Roads were all empty, I sat by a door, in pattering rain, counting my gains. Only withering leaves and pebbles I bore, and a single shell where I still hear Here's still the spell, echoing far as down the street, ragged I walk, to myself I must talk, for seldom they speak the men that I meet. Um, and the notes on it, uh, Tolkien describes the sea bell as certainly of hobbit origin, a late work in the time scheme of Middle-earth with a scrawled title, Frodo's Dream, at the head of his manuscript. Um, so the sea bell is associated with the dreams that Frodo has later. Afterwards, but it is also shockingly similar in a lot of ways to the Seas Realm in terms of the sea and the waves. And like here he's trying to get there, and here he's arrived. That was my question. So, the Old Forest. We're down to not very many people, so you all have to talk. You can do it. I believe in you. But I didn't read it all. <laughs> I have confidence. So let's start. Let's start with the forest itself. Um, let's start with how they relate to the forest before we even go into it, because it's kind of that interests me. There are two things that we know about the Bucklingers' relationship with the old forest. One is that Mary calls the trees sleepy, like he personifies them and talks as though they move about during the day. Um, and nobody really questions that. Everyone's just like, yeah, it seems reasonable. So that's presumably relatively common. Mary doesn't feel the need to explain himself to other people. He's like, all Bucklingers know those trees move. Why do they know? Because the trees once outright attacked Buckland on their own. Which is wild to me. Any thoughts? This is going to be super pedantic and annoying, and I'm like so sorry about this. But I don't think personified is the right word. I don't think what Mary is doing is personifying the trees. Because like when you personify something, you're like reading human attributes into it. Yeah. In a way. And that's very, like, 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 I only bring this up because I think it's actually important. But yeah, like, no, I get, I get the distinction you're making, yeah. Yeah, whereas I think that's very interestingly not what Mary's doing and not what anyone does when describing the old forest, even Tolkien in his narration. Mm-hmm. Um, like, if he's, uh, like, obviously we're humans and so we can only describe things that humans can think of, but... Putting that aside, like, it's not described as, like, oh, the trees are acting human. 
The trees are acting like trees, but more awake, is how Tolkien puts it. And I think that's a super interesting connection. Yeah, he does that a lot with all sorts of natural things. You know, when we're talking about the Silmarillion, we talk about rivers. It's not really personification because they are like that. It's not reading human traits into something that has no inherent human quality. Yeah. Like the old forest has wants and desires and growth like agency. But it, yeah, but it's not by making it more human. It's just like a forest. And I wonder how much it's more like the whole Shire aware of the queerness of the whole thing. Because like their reaction to it is different because like they are like because if you remember like the talk that Sam had with the green dragon his father uh, and like he said like yeah and they saw this tree walking there and it's like yeah but and then and there's no such type of tree there but well there's no tree ha 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 you didn't see anything but like as all the are just grandma stories the thing you told little children to scare them and that's also why I think Paddy Baldwin is like still afraid of that he still remembers the grandma stories or like he's like ah I'm not putting a toe in that forest <laughs> like even like and a, a hair of my toe in that forest will not go um, and so like I think the whole Shire is aware that the forest is weird and like awake but most of the Shire except Gosling stop taking gifts seriously after a moment because like just stop but Batman has to deal has to deal with it daily and sometimes in the most effect way so like it's no like this is this is serious matter like we don't know why we don't know how but we know we have to deal with that so like when every other adult in the shire is like grandma stories and then he tells us when the different grandparents and then the Becklanders are like yeah yeah the forest is weird but in the case of Mary what is behind us is even weirder it's freaking scared maggots I'm less afraid of the forest <laughs> than something that scares maggots basically <laughs> I totally agree with Eloise like I think like the, the distinction you see with uh, um, shoot, what's the name? Fatty Bolger is like it, it, Tolkien adds in that line talking about how he lived inland, mm -hmm. um, which I think like you're totally right about connecting him with like Ted Sandyman mm -hmm. and how the two of them are like, oh, that's just stories. Like, I bet if you told a Bucklander, like, oh, my cousin saw a moving tree they'd probably take you a lot more seriously mm -hmm. yeah. because they would be like, yeah, that's a thing that happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. like, same though. <laughs> like, again, it reminds me of like the people of Dale who literally in the span of like two generations were like, yeah, the dragon's probably mythical. 
much. But then when he gets into the forest, he's like, those trees do move. <laughs> they are moving us right now. Like, even though he's been there before and has some experience with the way that the paths move and shit that they appear, he's still like, oh, I forgot about this. <laughs> this is wild, guys. I honestly, like, love how the old forest is a malevolent grandfather. Like, I love it oh. so much. <laughs> yeah. Like, There's I so really like with it per se, but nonetheless, going back to uh, Aule and Yavanna, nonetheless they will have need of wood, yeah. regardless of how much they love nature. Um, and the old forest is particularly interesting because, like, it's not evil. Like, it's got Fundamentally, that's not the character of the old forest. The character of the old forest is kind of that it just wants to be completely, like, undisturbed. And, like, when the hobbits were there right beside it, it was kind of, like, testing its boundaries. And then they burned a bunch of it. And they didn't necessarily burn more than it than they, than they had to. But, like, what matters to the old forest is just that some of it burned. Like, it thinks, but it thinks purely in a, like, you hurt me, I'll never like you way. Yeah. I don't know. And then it straight up tries to eat hobbits, so we're gonna get to that bit. But that's not the whole forest. That's just Old Man Willow. Yeah, I've got theories of Old Man Willow. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've, got, I've got thoughts on that. I wonder how much, like, Because, like, I think hobbits would never have problem with the old forest if they had stayed on the other side of the river. But then they, well, they arrived and they had their thing, but then they grew like rabbits. Like, that's not just everywhere. And it's also like exactly what you said. Like, if you want to be in uh, like small, small hobbits <laughs> running in because, like, it's funny, like, it's a weird forest, but at the Time you can't like, yeah, it's funny, come back here. Yeah, like the old forest is like worried they're encroaching on its territory and yeah. it's belligerent about that. Yeah, I think that's more like acting like a pack of wolves would if you entered the territory and you were like, and like kind of either killing some of them or eating the, the same food and then they would be like, what are you doing here? Like, dude, that's 
we feed here at our territory, <laughs> zoo, <laughs> and then they would be probably not happy with you. Perhaps you would be wearing like a puppet suit. Yeah, I mean, you don't even necessarily know if the forest was hostile. It just may have been curious and came to go see what, what's going on by this hedge thing. What are these guys doing? <laughs> and then, really, the hobbits did something pretty horrific. Because they, I forget what the, what the phrasing is there, but they go and they slaughter all these trees, carry them into the forest a little ways, and then burn this effigy of dead trees. It's like... What are you doing? That's so brutal and horrible. And then the forest left them alone. It was scared, but hostile at the same time. This was trauma because like the no tree go back when they burn the other tree. So like this is actual trauma of the forest. Like, okay. Trauma and the idea of the land. Sorry. Go ahead. The idea of the land carrying trauma is so interesting in Tolkien because like you'll have like evil things like where they die or where they built somewhere that was destroyed like nothing will grow there again but you'll also have like that sort of thing like memorializing death like totally yeah um or like the what is it like Halvin Ellis I think like the hill of the slain um so like Morgoth burns this entire field like it used to be a and he burns the entire thing. Um, and then there's a huge battle where like a ton of people die. And then they like pile all of the corpses into a mound. Um, and the mound is the only place where anything green will ever grow again. And like nothing will ever grow on the plain. Ever. Mm. So that's like really interesting in this where like Tolkien will fully like like when, when he says something isn't going to grow somewhere again like it literally never will <laughs> so I think like this clearing is never going to grow in like the trees are never going to start growing there again they are like yeah I don't know which again like it just gives them more personality because they're like nah our comrades were killed there <laughs> So, question, what woke the forest up? And I want to be really particular about this, uh, about the way I'm characterizing the old forest, because we see two other forests, and one of them is Fangorn, where Ents still live, and that's what keeps Fangorn moving and alive, is that there are still Ents there. But when Legolas goes to Fangorn, he notes a specific difference between how alive Fangorn is and how alive Mirkwood is. With the implication that Mirkwood itself, Mirkwood has been corrupted, so like it's got all of these terrible things in it. Um, but the implication is that green would be great as it stands when it's not corrupted, isn't alive like Fangorn is, um, and isn't alive like the old forest is either. It's just a forest. It's a very nice forest and some elves live in it, but it's just a forest. So something keeps the old forest more awake and more alive than 
that isn't what it is in Fangorn's ends, right? Fangorn is unique in that sense. And so what is it? Yeah. I wonder how much is like maybe not Tom Bombadil himself, but his wife. Because she's a daughter of the river. And like there's this scream in Fangorn that makes the tree alive again, like the hottest bird apparently. And um, I wonder how much she has a similar power over the old forest. Yeah, and to build off that, um, uh, Mary notes that everybody knows the strangeness of the old forest is centered on the river, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The strangeness in the forest comes from the river. I did not connect that to the possibility of Goldberry being the source, but that is really clever. That's so possible. I mean, I also thought, like, like, it centers on the Libby Little Valley, which is where Old Man Willow grows. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it could be Goldberry. It could be, like, not the Libby Little itself, but the fact that that Old Man Man Willow is there. And Old Man Willow is very clearly, like, the hub of the forest. Like, he straight up has power over other trees. This doesn't explain what is keeping them more awake. Because why is Old Man Willow more so awake? Is Old Man Willow, like, a corrupted ent? Like, I don't know. Um, okay, my other yeah, theory... Th- that, well, that was why I wanted to the center it, sorry, the, the, I wanted to center it on Old Man Willow. I wanted to mention that because I said, um, because I said the forest eats hobbits, right? They tried, they tried to eat the hobbits. Um, and you're like, well, just Old Man Willow. I'm like, no, Old Man Willow is at the center, right? So really, the forest, the forest takes them there. That's true. And Old Man Willow tries to eat them. Mm. It's unclear whether it's like the forest leading strangers to Old Man Willow or like Old Man Willow using the forest as an to extended draw them snare, or like everything gets drawn to the center, it just happens. Yeah. I don't know. I, I was under the impression that it was more uh, like Tom Bombadil and Goldberry and Old Man Willow happen to be on the way. Because there are other hobbits that go into the old forest and they don't get channeled the same way. They're not trying they don't to cross it far, right? But it's, it's just, even the way Mary talks about it, like it's different. The paths are doing things that he's not used to, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's so hard to get to the clearing. The thing with that though is that like, if, what is, like, if what's different about these hobbits is either that they're going farther or that they've got the ring, we know that the ring doesn't change Tom Bombadil's behavior, but we don't know that it doesn't change the behavior of the forest to center it on Willow. So I think that's a possibility. The idea of this Willow tree like wanting the ring is hilarious, and I don't think it's like a like it would actually put it on a branch or something, but it might be like, oh, that's a thing, nom. Like, maybe, because maybe that's what the author said. And maybe the, way the 
Chris was the king of the cave where Kira was making her way. Like, where the hell is he? Like, okay, that's how borders. <coughs> you don't go further, you stay behind this cave, you stay behind this cave. Then they go further, like, come on, pass on. But then the ring is in the old forest. The wraiths are around looking for this ring. And I wonder how much the old forest is like. That thing is evil. We're gonna eat it up and borrow it. Down, 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 down. And there's the magic of the river, of like whatever. Like, because the old forest seems to answer to Tumble Battle, and Tumble Battle has absolutely nothing to do with the ring. He's like super chill, he doesn't change around the ring. And I wonder how much of that is like the forest being like. Those four don't know how to handle that shit. Tumble doesn't even will. Those four must die and then will act, act ish. Like, Tumble will be the aura of people. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also possible that Old Man Willow might just want <coughs> to possess the ring. Maybe he was kind of an evil thing, too, so I think that's why maybe. The other thing is that, um, and I, I think, like, what you were saying about, like, talking about Tom Bombadil and how he maintains the land, and, like, the relationship between Tom Bombadil and his character, the Lion King, and the villains, um, at the same time, you don't really get the sense that Tom and the forest are on the same side. Yeah. They're not. Um, I'm gonna... Oh, I'm so sorry. Again, by continuing to bring up theories that... <laughs> I want to talk about the Hermeneutic of the Barnyard again, guys. Um, <laughs> thank you, Nathan Kowalski, for that, that talk last year that has been handed to me every couple of weeks. So we know that Sauron's passing woke up the Barrow Whites, and the Barrow Whites are really nearby. Um, I, I think it's in the appendices where it actually like says that mm-hmm. Sauron's the reason why the Barrow Whites woke up again and became like evil things. So, like, we know that that impacted the human spirits, but could it have impacted the land itself? We know that impacted by the presence of evil, and we even know that directly with Sauron, um, in the case of Brownlands, which made that way, and in the case of Tolstirian or Tolentoth, like the Isle of Werewolves, where like the land itself needs purification, which is done when they bury Finrod there, but it was like corrupted by Sauron's long inhabitants of it. So my question is, in the same way that Sauron woke up the Arrowites at the same time, could that have sort of made the land itself more evil? Question mark. Maybe? I feel like it's possible that that impacted, like, old men below especially. 
but I think the chorus was more like longer than that. Hmm. Right? That was only 80 years ago, give or take. Um, and Mary doesn't say, in my father's day, the trees yeah. came right up to the hedge. Nothing like that. It's long ago. Long enough to right. be Mary was an old set that way. Right. So, so it's, it's not, it's a, yeah. It's so it couldn't be a theory for why it's more awake. Only for why it's nastier. Yeah. It could it could have grown nastier. We don't know. There's no indication as to whether it was grown nastier or was always this clear. Um, but it is not particularly nasty though. Well, old man willow is. Old man right. willow is. Old, old man willow is for certain. Yeah. The rest of the forest had plenty of opportunity to try to choke them out or block their path or make them crawl through brambles or whatever. And I mean, maybe it's also good if like the forest itself is trying to kill them and Old Man Willow is the one doing all the snaring. Yeah, I mean... But but it's also possible that... The closest we get is when that branch falls. That's more of a warning. Well, I think also the fact that like all the paths keep changing on them, so in a way that is kind of trying to plan the passage. But it's guiding them through a specific route. It's not letting them go where they want to go. And that could actually, I theorize anyway, that it's a form of protection. So if they got to the road early, the riders would have found them right away, right? Yeah, but I don't know that, like, but the forest itself can't know that. Right. Right? Like, that's, that's when you're looking at, like, the whole song. There's that. That the riders would have caught them if they got there earlier, when you're looking really, really grand scope. But when you're looking at what the forest itself is doing, the forest doesn't know about the Black Riders, and it doesn't know. And it's, it's got no real reason to want to keep these nice, terrible hobbits from meeting up with the people that it doesn't know very well, mm-hmm. or can't really know about. Um, and I think if it was trying to direct them to a safe space, like to Bombadil, it wouldn't have taken it to Old Man Willow. It would have taken it through to Bombadil's house. The forest knows where it is. Tom Bombadil keeps his edge of the forest to him. Yeah. Well, that's the idea that the forest is like Ebola. Like the spread that he's usually quite friendly with the forest but in that case possibly old man willow he's like has been for a while a bit wiser a bit less nice than like never never has been nice always like more like a, a grumpy grandpa that keeps being annoying with you but at the same time, is not necessarily violent. And um, I wonder how much of that is, has been this sorrow making the forest eviler, and how much of that is um, the forest protecting itself against from more evil. Because they're hobbits, their interaction with hobbits is like, Hobbits coming, 
puppets bending down trees. And now they have an evil brain. Of super gigantic power. Like, if the forest is only worried about the forest itself, I would be like, uh... So, first it's not one wandering around alone, it's four of them on ponies. Like, with stuff to play around and with an evil rig. How much is it likely that they're gonna burn all of us down? Or at least try. And they actually kind of tried with old man Willow as old man Willow was like telling Mary like I'm gonna cut you in half if you keep burning me. So I think like the trauma of the forest about fire and hobbits is reenacting here. I think it's not pure evil. It's really like the kind of evil you do when you're scared. Like really scared. And Tumblewell, I think that's why he's not like he's not happy with the forest, like all what, what the old man Willow did. It's like you ought not have to have done that. But because he understands more, he sees a bigger picture. He probably have maybe thought to Gandalf, or maybe not, but you know, like, he sees much more than only the forest. And he's like basically scolding the forest, like, you are scared for no reason. Like, in that case, what you're imagining is scary is stuff, to being dumb. Yeah, 
and I think you see like that sense that all the forest wants is to be a forest is like um, an underlying like natural theory in Tolkien and in the Ghost Folk. Um, all trees want is to be trees. Just leave them alone. Let them be trees. Things only start going bad when you try to wreck the trees. Um, and yeah, then in the old forest, there's some, clearly something off about that. And you can see that in Fangorn too. Um, when you when you get to Fangorn and kind of right after, like the dwarves, there's something like, yeah, all the forest wants is to be a forest. And sometimes that means the forest is actually vicious and will consume you. Actually, though, like, I don't think so. So the consumption is really interesting because dying, decomposing, and being used as nutrients for trees is a natural process. The problem with this forest is that it's trying to hasten that. Like it is trying to actually consume life, not just recycle death. And I was like reading this really interesting point in that I, I like I this was the, the passage I put into the Astari chat because I was like, I'm reading Tolkien here, you guys. I should put that on like the actual Facebook group. But it was about like how Tolkien doesn't position evil as like counter to nature because you can't have something that's outside nature. Like instead, like evil is unable to enjoy any part of nature, including itself. Um, and therefore, like, basically tries to ruin things. And so, like, like, it can't enjoy food, but it eats cannibalistically. Like, Gollum, who eats, like, raw things, like, other sentient creatures. And I feel like that kind of applies to old man Willow too, like the idea that he's kind of cannibalizing life. I wonder how much, like, I think the shift from neutral to evilish in the forest is that it's positioned toward the world because you can be want to just want to be a forest as such. interaction with the world and then you back the old forest is a forest against the non forest. Yeah. So basically what Allman Willow is in, in that view, what Allman Willow would do is like hastening the process of decomposition is like you become the forest. You you were not forest, now you're not you're gonna become forest. And that's not bad the need stuff that are not forest in the whole world and that's how Mugalanus understands and that's how he maps it's like be a forest if you want but don't be a forest against what is not forest be a forest with what is not forest yeah and and that's where like the art is like and, and in a way like I don't. I haven't read about Van Gogh in like little, a little decade. So, <laughs> and I've read about it 
learning French, so really bad memories about that. Uh, Saigon Novo Prize, I think it's con yeah. like in in opposition to the old prize. Um, but I think yeah, like reacting to the attacks is normal as like I want to be a forest. You are not forest. The other really notable thing that he does is he 
uses his own name as a command um, when he's talking to Old Man Willow. Uh, first of all, he says, I'll freeze his marrow cold if he don't behave himself. But then down he says, down further, what be you a thinking of? You should not be walking. Eat herbs, dig deep, drink water, go to sleep. Bombadil is talking. And I just find it so interesting that that's like the last thing he says is Bombadil is talking. That's the weight of his like command over this forest in a sense. It's so interesting to me. I find it I find that's interesting as a character trait that he's a, that he relates to me that way. And I noticed this time was that he says like what Tom Bombadil says to Old Man Willow is you should not be waking. Um, which I think ties into that discussion of like Tom Bombadil's power comes from song. The world was created through song. Tom Bombadil is probably tapping into the song that is the world. And when he says, like, I know Old Man Willow's song, like, he knows the Old Man Willow melody and the I'm Alindale. Like, but what's interesting about you should not be linking is that, like, um, as kind of established elsewhere, like, your song is more powerful if it speaks truth, if it lines up with the song, um, than if you lie and you try and twist it, because you can't ultimately twist it. You can only make it seem like something it isn't, and that will undo you, um, as seen in, like, Saruman and Gandalf and stuff. So, like, my theory here is that Tom Bombadil is basically, like, he has so much power because he's in tune with what the song should be. Like, that sense of cultivation and, like, the, like, he just innately knows what the forest is supposed to be like when he says, like, you should not be waking. Like, the waking isn't the state Old Man Willow should be in if there hadn't been evil introduced into the song. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But like, I wonder if it's not you should not be waking in this situation. Yeah. Yeah, because like, it, like again, it's like a bit of a, like, you should not be before Hobbits ever fed, even if they have this evil ring that disrupts the song. And, and then also what he says before, like, go to sleep, eat, eat dirt, like, eat, uh, uh, etc. Like, all of that is what a forest does. Yeah. It's like, you should not, like, remember your song of being a forest. I understand you want to be a forest, but being a forest means that, 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 and that. Not making non-forest part of forest. Yeah, like you're not actually being a good forest right yeah. now. You're trying to be something that you're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bad forest. <laughs> exactly. And like, like invoking his name, like somebody of Hathor for Hathor. Um, it's almost like the forest recognized Tom Bobadil 
knowledge of the of the the song and um, kind of kind of the voice of reason in a way of the story and is like because of his further love like his more expensive awareness of the world like I don't know only the forest and what the forest is or isn't I also know what the forest is beyond the forest and that goes through the song and also afterwards it's like what is going on outside of the forest so like I think that's where the power of contrary kind of comes from Because he acts like an ant wife. He he acts yeah. like tribute acts. He acts like an ant in the yeah. forest. He's like, you should not do that. That's not what good forests do. And but also like yeah, he's, he's like a combination of, of the ant tribute and also what ant wife was specifically known for, which is cultivating things, opposed to like just shepherding the trees. Yeah, like ant wives like farm and orchards and fields. Like Tolkien, there's like a letter where he, in a note, he says that the ants and the antwives embody what he considers to be like the masculine and the feminine approaches to like nature, but like like from in a positive, like either one of them can obviously be corrupted and overdone, mm-hmm. but like, um, and you know, Tolkien himself had both of those. He liked going for long walks and staring at a tree for twenty minutes. Tom Bombadil has both of those principles too. Like the ant sort of let things be, and then the ant wife sort of turned them. <laughs> so that's like that was kind of my, my last point was like this different way, like this Tom Tom Bombadil's way of like approaching and dealing with the old forest. I think he says something really specific about the way that Tolkien is like conceptualizing his interactions with nature. Um, and good ways of like stewarding it and cultivating it and like living within it. Um, and fun fact is really interesting to see an old forest like boutique bit. I understand why we had to cut it, but it would be so interesting. You never get that anywhere else that like how do we do a movie of the forest Um, there's a series called Amazon Hazelon. 
Reminds me a bit of um, another forest, but a natural forest in central France-ish in the mountains. And so one of the things there that there's not a lot of people living there, but landlords are responsible for tending this forest, mm. like making sure that there's not too much not not too much dry leaves on the ground because during the summer when it gets really dry, a spark could just burn down an entire mountain or more, which is quite dangerous and ecologically catastrophic. And so, yeah, it goes, ties back to this idea you were mentioning that, no, it's not humans against nature, it's like human within nature. It's like, sure, maybe if they had planted less trees, there would be less seeds on the ground, but at the same time, now the trees are growing by themselves and you still need to take care of the leaves because otherwise all the tree can be dead in a span of a second. And yeah, like if the forest was taken we would be fine, but it is you know just taking there's no one to take care of the forest. Anyway, yeah. Tolkien's 